fall kickoff, and for some of you, that might well mean this is your first Sunday here. If it is, welcome. Thanks for checking us out. Some of you, this is your normal habit. You're here every Sunday or nearly every Sunday, and some of you might just be wondering what this place is about and am I even interested in them. Wherever you stand on that, thank you for being here today. And it occurs to me if we're going to launch off into the fall, we should probably all be on the same page. And so today we're going to start with one of the most beloved, most uh, well-known, most memorized verses in the whole Bible. And in that verse, we're going to understand the basics of Christianity and who we are as people and who we are and why we're here as a church. And so what I'm going to do is ask him to put it up on the screen, John 3.16. If you don't have this one memorized yet, this would be a really, really good place to start. Would you read it with me, please? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you find tremendous comfort in those words. If you haven't, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, those 24 words should give you more hope than anything else you're ever going to encounter in life. Those simple 24 words... Because what they do is they help us to understand it is that God has done everything for us in Jesus. And your eternity does not depend on your goodness or your efforts or your hard work or your success. Eternity lies very simply in our believing in Jesus Christ as God's only Son. It's as simple as that. Believe. And so, you know, before anybody says, hey, i got to send him an email. He, he missed that one. He tripped up a little bit. There's more to it. Yes, there is. That's the living as a Christian. Becoming a Christian is as simple as understanding Jesus really is who God says He is. It's an interesting word in there. It says the Bible says the word world. What exactly does that refer to? The world. For God so loved the world. Is God in love with the planet? Dirt, the resources? Is God in love with what, what surrounds the planet? What, what is it? Well, the word in Greek is cosmos. We get the word cosmos from it, right? It's a whole of creation, the universe. It's everything out there, everything that God created. But I was reading somebody who went on and defined it further, and they said this. That word refers to the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of humanity that is alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. Now, it's not difficult for me to imagine God loving a world full of kind-hearted, gentle, thoughtful, patient, generous people. Well-mannered, following His Word. I can understand God loving all those folks. But it's a little bit more of a challenge for me to imagine God loving a world that is an active revolt against Him. A world that is working within government and politics, their schools and their hearts to take God out and ban Him from every part of life. People who despise and hate and fight against God. God loving that word, world to me is unreasonable. It's unrealistic and it's, it's simply ridiculous by every measure of my understanding of the word love. And yet that's what God does. God loves even the people who are working hard to keep God out of every facet of our lives. 
See, God's love isn't based on what someone else says you're worth. God's love for you isn't based on, on what it is that you believe you're worthy of receiving. It isn't based on your idea of your merit or even of your response. Do you know why God loves you? Because God loves you. If you were to say, I love someone else, fill in the blank, what we do is, well, I love them because. And we give the reasons why we love them as though if they stopped doing those things, we wouldn't love them anymore. Am I right? God loves you because God loves you. God loves you in your insurrection. God loves you in your revolt. God loves you even in your sin. God doesn't love you because you're kind or generous or brave. doesn't love you because you do the right things or you try extra hard. God loves you right here, right now, just the way you are. Have you ever thought about that? Right now, the way you walked in here this morning, God loves you. In fact, God loves you so much that He sent His only Son who in turn sacrificed Himself on the cross for you. And as I thought about it, I realized that all of the reasons we come up with why we're not lovable, all the reasons why God shouldn't love us or love someone else, every one of those is the reason that Jesus went to the cross. It's our sin. The Bible doesn't say God loves us when we become sinless. Even in spite of all those things that you've said and done and thought and haven't done, it is every one of those things, those sins, that God sent His Son to die for you so that you would believe in Him, know and trust that He is real. Believe when the Bible says that God loves you. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins so that you would not have to live in or die in your sin, but that you could live in the freedom that comes from the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. Why is that so hard for us to figure out? Because believing in Jesus is not about what you do. It's not about your efforts, about trying harder today than you did yesterday. John 3.16 says it's all about what you believe, about who you believe in. When John 3.16 uses the word believe, it means to put your confidence in, your faith, your hope, your trust. Put everything that you have, even more so than we say, I believe in a friend or a spouse or a parent. Faith is about who or what we believe in, not about how much we can believe. In America, we have this idea, we've been sold, that it doesn't matter what you believe in, you just have to believe it with all your worth. That's a dangerous road, but it feels good. Well, I believe in this. Maybe you don't, but it's good for me. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Number one, I've got a horse. She's a fine horse. Kind, gentle, well-trained. She's a good horse. I believe that I'm safe when I ride her. I don't ride her nearly enough. But it doesn't matter how much I believe in my horse and how much I believe my horse can do. I can believe for all I'm worth that my horse is so awesome that she can fly. But it doesn't matter how many hours I spend on her. It doesn't matter how many drills we go through. It doesn't matter what I try to teach her. I will never leave this earth and head off into the skies and come down safely on the back of my horse, will I? But people believe things for all they're worth that are as crazy as that. I had a different experience a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I actually met a man who I met for the first time who was crazy enough to let me fly his airplane. Woo-hoo-hoo! Wow! And we got on the plane and I said, I've not had great experiences in small aircraft and I'm scared of heights. And he goes, I guess you're trusting me. I said, more than you know, Gary. But you know what? I trusted that he wanted to end back safely on the ground just as much as I did. 
So we took off, and I went through that phase where it was just far enough off the ground that I knew if I fell, I was in big trouble. We never left that phase, by the way. And we got up in the air, and he took his hands off the wheel and said, Go ahead, fly it. That's why you're here. And I realized that this incredible experience of flying the airplane, I really wasn't. It was really Gary that was flying the airplane. I trusted in his skills as a pilot, and I trusted the plane that he was in because he knew it well. I believed in him. I, I put my faith in him. And I realized that I knew when I jumped into that plane that it would fly every bit as much as I knew my horse never would. What is it you put your faith in? What you choose to believe in, where you put your faith, it'll define your life and your death, your priorities, where you spend your money and your eternity. What do you believe in? What do you really believe in? What do you really put your faith in? Now, this can seem like a crazy example, but bear with me for a moment. There are some people who believe in UFOs. They, they believe that they're real. I'm not saying they are they're not. I have no proof one way or the other. No judgment here. Some people believe in UFOs. In fact, they believe in them so much, they believe that they're the ticket to the life beyond. Think I'm crazy. There's a group that we've come to know as the Heaven's Gate Cult, 1997. They were living in California. They were a bunch of smart people because they were designing and building websites before much anybody else really knew what they were all about. What they believed was that this comet that was coming to Earth called the Hale-Bopp Comet, real comet, really came into our atmosphere. They really believed that the Hale-Bopp, right behind it in its tail, held a UFO. And in that UFO was one of their departed leaders and that what would happen is when that UFO got close enough, it was going to take them all up and carry them off to the next life, the next level, what they understood as heaven. It was going to carry them through heaven's gate, thus the name. They believed in it so much they sold everything they had. They lived in a, in a group, in a commune. They ate together. They gave up their individual identities. I mean, they went to crazy extremes. They believed it so much, so much so that it got to the point that that comet got close enough and they said it's time. And 39 people took their own lives believing that that comet held a UFO that was going to come and get them and take them to heaven. Their belief cost them their lives and an empty end it was. Folks, we can laugh at it and say, well, at least we're not those people. But you know what? They believed that that unseen, untracked, unknown UFO was their salvation. They believed it so much that they staked their own life on it. They took their own lives. What you believe matters. And don't write it off as silly because you're just like me. You believe in some crazy things. We all do. Where you put your faith matters. It's a, it's a simple point of truth. It's a matter of life and death, yours and mine. Some of us, if we're going to be honest... Put all of our stock, everything we are, everything that we believe. We maybe say that we believe in Jesus, but you know what we really believe in? We believe in money. That will carry us through. You read some people and they'll put you on the internet and say you need to exchange your dollars for gold. Got to believe in gold. That's what you need. What do you believe in? Let me try to help you understand a little bit of the difference between belief and faith. Because when they talked about believe, there's a combination of belief and faith and total commitment. This is an example I've used before. I love it. Preachers have been using it for 150 years, and I'm going to do it again today. It's a guy named Charles Blondin in 1859. Charles Blondin was a stuntman and a showman, and he decided he was going to do one of the greatest tricks that had ever been done, one of the greatest feats of daring do. He strung a cable from the Canadian side to the U.S. side of Niagara Falls. 
And as a tightrope walker, he was going to impress the world by walking from Canada to the U.S. across the Niagara Falls without anything holding him to the ground but his feet on the wire. But he went a step further, and you know what he did? As he came walking through the mist from the Canadian side to the U.S. side where a large crowd had gathered, he was doing one thing more. He was pushing a wheelbarrow. And he gets to the other side, and everybody's clapping and screaming and loving him. I mean, that was incredible. And he goes, do you think I can make it back again? Yeah, do it. Do you believe I can make it back with the wheelbarrow? Yeah, you can do it. We saw you do it once. Go. You believe I can do it? Yes. Who will jump in? Guess how many people volunteered? Zero. It's too dangerous. They believed in him. They didn't have any faith in him. What John 3.16 is talking about is those who believe. What John 3.16 is talking about is not the kind of faith that says, yeah, I believe. It's the kind of faith that says, I'll jump into your wheelbarrow, Jesus. I'll believe you for everything you say and everything that you do, everything you promise. I'll claim them all for myself. Total commitment, total belief, total all in. I'll jump into your wheelbarrow that when the going gets tough, the only thing I've got is to look and to see you. Charles Blondin went from one side and back to the other again. No one wanted to go for the ride. The sad thing is so many people who go to church say that they believe in Jesus, but they're not in the wheelbarrow. You might be one of them. I want the guarantee that you offer of eternal life, Jesus. I want that, I want that peace of mind. Jesus isn't about being a life insurance policy. Complete and total faith and commitment. The kind of faith for the record that has the audacity to allow a little church in the midst of an area filled with churches to start up and have the audacious idea to begin to change the culture of the communities and the people around them. The kind of faith that says we know that God loves us first and in His Son who gave His life for us We're going to answer that call to preach the gospel of a sinless Savior knowing that we're a congregation full of sinful people. That's the kind of faith that jumps in the wheelbarrow with both feet. So maybe you're sitting there this morning, you go, all right, whatever, I've heard it before, Pastor, I'm in. What do I do now? What do we do now? What's the next step? How do you build and grow a church and act as leaders in response to this verse? I'll tell you what, it's where the hard part comes in. See, most people who have memorized John 3.16 have never read John 3.17. But it's where we go from believing to our first instruction about how to live. Read this one with me, would you please? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. You tell people first about Jesus about why it is that you believe in Him. What we don't do is point out a long, dirty laundry list of sins that they might have. The problem with the church in America, we've been so focused on the sins of other people that in a lot of cases we've forgotten to talk about the Savior that forgives us. Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That's a pretty radical statement right there. Yes, Jesus one day will stand in judgment over all humanity. But you know what? Jesus didn't come in the world to the world to condemn the world. Jesus came in the world to save the world. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save me. From what? Right? 
You know what the really brutally honest answer to that question is? Jesus came the world came into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. To save us from what? To save you from yourself. Jesus came to save you from the sin that you and I choose over and over all the time. Romans 7.19, Paul says this, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Somehow, as Christians, even when we say that we believe, we find a way to keep on doing what even we do not want to do. We don't do the good that we know that we can and that we should and that we ought. We keep doing the things that we say we don't want to. It's a little bit like me knowing I need to eat less and exercise more. I know my health is at stake. I know there's a lot that's at stake. The problem is, I don't believe in it enough to actually do it. So I think about eating less. I think about exercising more. But in reality, I eat too much and I exercise too little. It's like people who go to church and they finally realize, wow, thank you for having a place that I could connect with. What can I do to help? Well, you can pray for us. You can be involved and you can help support what we're doing so that we can reach more people like you. I'm in. I believe. Do you believe enough to actually start tithing? Well, I'm not sure I trust Jesus with the wheelbarrow quite that far. See, we've always got our reasons why our belief has a limit. Do you believe enough to trust God totally even with your money? Do you believe in God enough to believe that He is who He says He is and that you are who you say you are? About 19 years ago, I was at my first call. And a large congregation, about 8,500 people. And my job was outreach pastor. And so... Most Sundays that I wasn't scheduled to preach, which I did not do very much of, uh, I put myself at the front door, just like I do here, welcoming, greeting people, saying good morning, getting to know them. And uh, it was a day very much like this. It was a fall day. It was beautiful. The weather was just crisp enough to, to just be perfect. And pretty much everybody had gone in and church had started, and for whatever reason I felt compelled to stay outside and see if there were any latecomers. Not that anybody would ever come late to church, right? And a guy comes walking across the street because there's a big apartment building. He comes walking across the street in sweatpants, dirty sweatpants and a T-shirt. And he says something like, you know, one day I want to be one of those people that drives a nice car and is all cleaned up in their nice clothes and start coming to church. One day I want to be one of them. Well, why one day? Well, I'm not going to get any closer to it, Ann, because you're going to be able to tell real quickly that I'm still hungover from last night. I'm not ready to go to church. Well, so what's going to change? Well, I've got to clean up my life first. I've got to get some, some, some things straightened out. I've got I to put things back in order. But I want to be like all the happy people that seem to walk in the door. I, I just know that I'm not one of you yet. I looked at him and I smiled and I said, Jesus loves you right now, right here, just the way you are. Yeah, maybe, but. No, really. Jesus loves you right here, right now, just the way you are. You don't have to change for him. He'll change you. If you believe in Him, if you'll give Him a try, you don't have to worry about all the things that keep you away and what you realize is that He was here waiting for you all along. And He shook His head and told me I was crazy and He walked back to His apartment building. Never saw Him again. See, that's what Jesus calls us to be as disciples, to love people. Not to condemn them. Not to judge them. Not to point out their sins. I guarantee you, people know their sins. It isn't to point out their faults or their flaws or anything else. If we're going to be a church 
that lives like Jesus, then we start out loving people, not condemning people. We welcome them just the way they are, right the way they are. And if you're going to have a, an argument or a problem with that, please come and talk to me. Don't go talk to someone else who you think doesn't belong because I promise you, if they're here, they do. Jesus will clean us up from the inside out when He's good and ready. John 14.6 says, Jesus tells us, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Everybody needs Jesus. We all do. We don't get to heaven without Him. See, God gave us Jesus, His only Son, that we might receive this gift that is free to us but was not free to Jesus. In fact, it cost Him His life. But what we have to do is we've got to receive it. We've got to accept it. It's a little bit like, and this is a crude example, but maybe it'll help. It's a little bit like having a a present wrapped up under a Christmas tree that's wrapped perfectly. And somebody says that that's got your name on it. I spent all year saving for that because I know who you are and I know what you need and you're going to love it. I can't wait for you to open it. You might get excited about it. You might wonder, wow, what do I need? What's going to change my life? But you know what? That gift does nothing. It doesn't do anything for the giver and it doesn't do you for the one who is supposed to receive it. It does you nothing if you don't accept it and open it. Jesus can do nothing for you if you don't accept Him and believe in Him. That Christmas present sits under the tree forever. And it never actually becomes yours. It's for you, but it isn't truly yours until you open it and accept it. Same is true with Jesus. To believe in Jesus alone is not the same as to put your faith and trust in Him. To simply to believe who He is isn't the same as committing your life to Him, surrendering yourself to Him. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. When a Christian says that we believe in God, it's very different than saying, I believe that He was real. When a Christian says they believe in Jesus, the Son of God, as their Savior, they mean more than just that He existed. They mean, yes, He might have been a good guy. They're saying they believe in Jesus for this life and for eternal life. When we say we believe in Jesus, we believe that He meant it when He said that He's going to heaven to prepare a place for us. And so we begin to live this life as though we're almost already there because we are. When we put our faith and hope and trust to Jesus, we live for the life that is to come, not just simply for the mess that we've made of this one. So you know the moment was coming, so here it is. Where are you right now, here today? Maybe you haven't been to church in months or years and you're going, oh, today was not the day to come. You know what? Today was the day to come. Because God's got an appointment with you and that feeling that you've got in your stomach is the beginning of the appointment. Where are you right now here today? See, church is full of, churches everywhere are full of people who say they believe in Jesus and who haven't been changed one bit because of Him. Churches are full of people who call themselves Christians and yet they believe that the most important thing they've got to do in life is to go point out the sins and faults and flaws of everybody around them. Not even Jesus condemned the people of His day. Why would you think you're supposed to? Churches all over the place are full of people who say that they believe in Jesus, but who have never truly accepted and received Him and surrendered their life to Him as their Savior. Uh, the, The fact is, I've had a lot of conversations in my day that are like this. 
People say, you know what, Pastor? I, I agree. I think what you're saying is true. I've read the Bible. I've talked to some friends. I think Jesus is real. I, I'm even willing to believe He was the Son of God. I'm willing to believe that He died for my sins and that, that I can be forgiven. But I'm not ready to, to give my life to Him yet. I, I'm going to wait for a while down the road. I'll do it one day. Maybe you're one of those one-day people. Maybe you're one of the ones that says, I'm willing to surrender my life, who I am and what I want, and even my money to you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust you. Or maybe you're just going to wait for one day, but here's the deal. With some of those people that I had that conversation with, one day didn't come. They checked out of this earth before that happened. Don't wait for one day. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today as you stop acting like someone who goes to church and pretends to be a Christian and you start jumping into that wheelbarrow with both feet and you trust Jesus with everything that you have, that you believe in Him, that when Jesus says that He came to this earth that you might be saved, He meant you. Not one day, but today. In a moment, we're going to invite the ushers forward and we're going to receive our, receive our morning's gifts and tithes and offerings. But as we do that, our prayer team is going to be in the, in the two corners. I'm going to ask you to be brave if God's putting this on your heart right now. And maybe it doesn't feel like it's on your heart. Maybe it feels like you'd rather barf because it's in your stomach. That's the Holy Spirit stirring in you. It's conviction. It's nothing that I've said. It's what God is doing in you. Be grateful for it. Maybe you need to come back home. Maybe you strayed for a while and you need to come back. Go talk with one of our prayer people and pray with them, would you? Maybe you've been waiting for one day your whole life and it just hasn't come. Maybe today's your day. Go talk to one of them, would you? Maybe what it is is that you've made such a mess and you've tried so hard and you've only made it worse and today is the day that you say, yeah, Jesus, I believe. I'm jumping into your wheelbarrow. Go talk to one of them, would you? I'm going to invite you all to stand and let's pray. Gracious God, you called this church into existence to be something very specific. It wasn't to do everything that was good that a church should do out there. It was to do some very simple things, but to do them very well. One of those things is to never, ever, ever stray from the truth of your word. Not to question it, but to believe it. Not to just read it, but to live it. God, you called us to be people of worship and people of prayer and people that love folks when they walk through the door without regard to who they were or where they'd been or what they'd done. Because, God, you said that you love the world, the whole world. We believe that means everyone who could possibly walk through the door. And this morning, God, right now, there are some folks that their day has come. This is their time. This is their moment of truth. Whether it's to come back home to You, to come to You for the first time, or to finally surrender everything and not just claim the title of Christian who's been forgiven, but to jump into Jesus' wheelbarrow. God, I pray that You would move us from the uncomfortable place we're standing in to go talk to someone where we can give ourselves to You fully and in all surrender. God, we thank You for the gifts and tithes and offerings that we're about to receive. 
we thank you for the way that that's going to allow us to reach more people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And finally, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, your Son, who did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. I hope we see you again next week. I want to just leave you with this thought. There's a new Nike ad campaign out there, and the ad says this, Believe in something, even if it costs you everything. Now, I'm not going to dive into the hornet nest of politics that surrounds that ad, but I will say this. Jesus believed you were worth dying for, so he did. And all he asks is that you believe in him and live for him. It's as simple as that. He's not asking you to do something that he didn't already do. He believed in you first. And all he asks is that you believe in him.